What's up and welcome back to the Secret Sauce Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Swink, and I've got Mark Miller joining me today, who many of you may know. You'll notice I'm even more fired up than usual because Mark is a personal hero of mine, and anybody who's ever met him would probably say the exact same. Mark has spent decades, that's right, decades, focused on high-performance leadership for all of Chick-fil-A, and he's been a driving force for the very recognizable culture that exists today. I would argue that Chick-fil-A builds leaders better than any organization in the entire world, and Mark has been a big part of that. He's written more books than I have time to list during this intro, but The Secret, Chestnut Checkers, Leaders Made Here, Win the Heart, and his most recent book, Culture Rules, are a few of my favorites. His newest book, Uncommon Greatness, will be releasing next month, and it's available for pre-order now, so go and make sure you get a copy of that. Culture is everywhere around us. Culture is at work, it's at home with our family, with our circle of friends, with the little league team that we coach, with the small groups that we're a part of. The question is, do you have a culture by design or by default. Mark is going to reveal the ways that he has aspired, amplified, and adapted the culture that he has been a part of. Make sure you stick around for the end of this conversation as we get into some fun facts about Mark that you probably have never heard before. Let's dive in. It's safe to say I'm pretty fired up for the guests that I have on the show today. I think I'm the most starstruck on this conversation than, than I've ever been before, because this guest is somebody that I've looked up to from afar through countless times that I've heard him speak on stages and books that I've read that he has written. The very first time I met my guest today, I was actually very early on in my professional career. And I want to say I was in New Jersey. I know it was the North, it was a Northeast type Chick-fil-A talent summit and he was was speaking at the event and hosting a leadership session for all the operators in the area. I was just a vendor. So I had a, a little table set up with my tablecloth with my WildSpark brand on it. And I was talking to all these operators about scaling leadership for their teams. And I'll never forget that Mark, my guest today, Mark Miller, after the whole summit was over with, you were very intentional and you walked around and you thanked every person individually for the part that they played in making the event a success. And I knew in that moment, there was just, there was something different about this guy and the way that he lived very intentionally and sought to add value to others. So like I said, safe to say I'm fanning out right now, but thank you so much, Mark Miller, for coming on the Secret Sauce Podcast. Well, Josh, thank you. And thanks for all you've done over the years to serve leaders, us particularly Chick-fil-A operators. You know, I've spent a long time trying to serve them as well, and we need all the help we can get. So thank you. <laughs> well, we all do. I think that's safe to say, Mark. The, the first question I got to ask you, I'm sure everybody's dying to know, what is Mark Miller's favorite sauce on the menu? What's your go-to when, you, uh, when you're craving some Chick-fil-A? What sauce are you throwing on your, your number one yeah. or your nuggets? It's the Chick-fil-A sauce. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> it is the classic, the go-to, the Chick-fil-A sauce. Mark, let's get into things because we have a lot of content to share with the audience today. And, and I know a lot of value that people are going to get from this. My first question to you around the leadership side of things is, as you're thinking about the current season of life that you're in and what you're focused on right now, what's the unique way that you are seeking to add value to people individually and to teams. And I would say this is not something that's prescriptive that you would necessarily tell everybody to do, but you know, because of the way that you're uniquely wired and the experience that you've had, here's how you would describe and label your secret sauce for leadership at the moment. 
Well, I don't know that it's changed in the last 50 years, which is kind of interesting. My approach has always been to try and help the people around me be wildly successful. And whether that was leading a corporate communications group or an operations group when I worked with business consultants who ultimately would serve operators. And today in this next chapter for me, I'm still trying to help leaders be wildly successful. So it's the same play. It continues to work. I get good feedback that, yes, we're adding value. So that's the play I'm going to keep running. I love how simple it is and just helping other simple, people. Simple, simple. I, I sold chicken for 45 years. Simple. <laughs> let's just, let's two pickles, three if they're small, toasted buttered bun. Let's, let's make it simple. Let's keep it original. That leads me to my next question, Mark. And I'd love to hear your perspective on this because you've seen the dynamics and the environment around leadership dramatically change over the years. I mean, you, you, you rewind 40 years ago and there's a fraction of the amount of content and even conversations about leadership that we have today, even from a a parenting perspective, some advice that my parents recently gave me was just decide what to do and and do it right. Because we can, we can be paralyzed by the amount of content that's out there. We we don't want to mess up, right? There can be this almost FOMO of, of, are we going about it the right way? I was talking to a leader in a healthcare hospital perspective what she shared with me was like, I know that I need to be focusing on leadership with my team, but I don't even know where to start. And so I'd love to hear what would be your definition of leadership? How would you simplify that for people in a world full of noise around leadership? And what would you tell people to focus on? Well, a couple of things. And and I want to dodge the question momentarily and come right back. I have devoted most of my career to serving leaders. We've already talked about that. However, I am compelled more and more to remind people leadership is not the objective. Leadership is an enabler to help organizations perform. We've got to keep our eye on the target, eye on the goal. And of course, leadership, I believe, is foundational, right? You're you're not going to have sustained levels of elite performance without leadership. So it's essential but there are people that say, we've got great leaders, but we don't have good performance. I said, you've lost the storyline. In fact, I'm not even sure that's totally possible, but you may not have focused your leaders on the goal or on the objective. Yes, you need leaders, but you need leaders so that you can perform. To your point, there, there is a lot of paralysis out there. The industry, the market, the world is flooded with content. I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, but I think you need a point of view. I would encourage your audience, what's your point of view? And then you, I think, will have a much easier job discerning which content is appropriate at any given time. And before I share my point of view and and what has, in fact, been Chick-fil-A's point of view, I'll tell you, I don't see the amount of information out there as a bad thing. Now, you're too young, and most of your audience is probably too young to remember this, but we used to have books on our shelves, and it was called a set of encyclopedias. And I don't ever remember anybody complaining that they had too many volumes because it's a ready source of information. And so I'm actually thankful there's a lot of information out there. And of course, I've contributed to that over the years. If you need help with teams, there's something on teams. If you need something on engagement, there's something on engagement. So I'm never going to apologize for trying to ensure that leaders have a full set of encyclopedias. But you don't read it start to finish front to back. 
needs to be driven, I think, by a point of view and felt needs in the moment. So all that to say, our point of view at Chick-fil-A for probably the last 25 years has been encapsulated in an image. We draw an iceberg for folks and we say leadership's a lot like an iceberg. About 10% is above the waterline and about 90% is below. The part above the waterline represents the skills of leaders and the part below the waterline represents their heart or their character. And we think both are essential. And organizations, if you don't have a point of view, you don't really know where to start. But I would say those without a thoughtful working definition of leadership, they tend to ignore the heart and the character. And of course, as the picture indicates, that's probably 90% of what will ultimately determine your success, your influence, your impact, and your longevity as a leader. And so we, for decades at Chick-fil-A have said, it's about your skills and it's about your heart. That's really good. I think about the world that we live in today. I can speak from that younger generational perspective. So much of it is heavily weighted on perceived value instead of the actual experienced value of because of social media and a lot of other factors. But you think about leadership and I think what a lot of people think about is, oh, they're the person calling the shots. They're seeing the 10%, right, of the iceberg that you just talked mm-hmm. about and not fully experiencing the 90% that enables people to operate out of that 10%. The 10% is the goal of what we want people to get to. We want them to be successful, to make an impact, but it doesn't happen without that 90% that you don't see below the right. surface. If your heart's not right, no one cares about your skills. It's actually your heart that helps you build followership. It's not your skills. We surveyed over 5,000 leaders. I don't even have the exact number in my head, but thousands of leaders. And we asked them to think about a leader who they either admire or who had a tremendous impact in their life. And then we asked them why that person came to mind. Over 95% of those people listed an attribute of their heart or their character. It's not that the skills were irrelevant, but that's what makes you a leader people want to follow. And of course, you need to back that up with the skills, but it's just it's just essential. I'm reminded of the phrase as you're explaining that, Mark, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And we know how much of a focus that is even for Chick-fil-A as an organization specifically in displaying and making felt and known the level of care that exists there because we know that will be the ceiling for how much that we can lead somebody else is is how much do they experience that care from us. I want to get into some of the work that you've done recently, Mark, and I've had the opportunity to dig into culture rules. And if anybody at all is working in a scenario in which you're leading people, I would say that you need to read this book. You need to read culture rules because what I hear a lot of the time is you think about organizations across the country and teams across the country is they will steer clear of culture because they would describe it as being squishy or hard to measure, hard to define. And as a result, like they'll, they'd will they rather focus on the bottom line and just put all of their attention there and, and not actually focus on what would be the driver of the bottom line. So I'd love to hear your perspective on this, Mark, as you're evaluating a culture and what makes an excellent culture, how would you define that for people? How could you give them a a clear definition of what that looks like and know what to focus on? Leaders 
who say they just want to work on results. They just want to work on the bottom line. And maybe they would say that culture is squishy. Maybe they wouldn't, but I understand the spirit of what you're saying. It's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's too hard to get your head and your heart around. I mean, it's, it's invisible, right? I think they're lying to themselves. It's, it's crazy because we did a global survey. We talked to leaders and frontline contributors in 10 countries, over 6,000 people in this sample. And we asked the leaders about the drivers of performance. 72% of U.S. leaders said culture is the most powerful tool at their disposal to drive performance. Now, I don't know what they may tell you or me one-on-one or say publicly, but when it's just them and the survey and they get to say, what are the drivers of performance? Nothing scored higher. So at some level, they know how important it is. It's the number one driver of performance. Now, we asked those same global leaders to rate and rank their priorities. Building and maintaining culture came in at number 12. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know about your listeners. I'm not working on my 12th priority. No. <laughs> which is extremely problematic as it relates to culture because leaders animate culture or not, right? You're going to have a culture either by design or default. And if it's your 12th priority, you've got culture by default. So our team went to work and said, how do we help close this knowing-doing gap? If 72% say it's the most important driver of performance, and most of the leaders I know, at least the ones worth anything, care about performance. That's why they're leading, right? They're trying to help people and organizations accomplish something. And that that something is your definition of performance. It's obviously, obviously different if it's a church or a school or a hospital or an army or a chicken restaurant, right? But you're trying to accomplish something. That's your definition of performance. Leaders are trying to help people go there and accomplish those things. And they say, unaided, unprompted, nobody looking over their shoulder, no peer pressure. Yeah, culture is most important. We need to help them close that gap. And I think there are two reasons. I'll I'll try to hit this quick and then we can go wherever you want to go. The first reason leaders aren't working on culture is not even in the book, Culture Rules. Culture Rules is a book to deal with the second reason. The first reason really emanates from some work we did a few years ago. We actually published it under the name of Smart Leadership. I don't know if you've had a chance to Mm -hmm. see that, but we were trying to help leaders be more effective. And we realized that what's impeding leaders is a toxic mix of things like busyness, distractions, complexity, fear, fatigue, success, all kind of stuff. And it changes leader to leader and season to season. We ended up categorically referring to all of that as quicksand. And here's why I mention it in the context of this question. Here's what we know about a leader in quicksand. They're not working on culture. They're working on survival, which makes perfect sense. If you're in quicksand, you're you're not working on culture. (laughs) Right. Now, by extension, if a leader's in quicksand, they can't help the leaders around them out of quicksand. So chances are really good if you're in quicksand, those around you are in quicksand, which means nobody's working on culture. Hmm. And so I think the first thing leaders need to think about as it relates to culture, it's not an intellectual ascent to its value and priority. They need to get out of quicksand so they can actually work on culture. And then they can help others around them out of the quicksand so they can work on culture. By the way, work on culture and other things. I mentioned a moment ago, leadership's not the goal. Culture's not the goal either. Culture is another of those enablers to create elite levels of performance over time. It's an enabler. 
And so that's the number one reason I think leaders don't work on culture. And let me offer something to your audience if they're interested, because I don't think we've got time to go into that today. Yeah. We created a free assessment. And all you got to do is text be smart with no space. I'm not sure that was real smart, but it's B-E-S-M-A-R-T, one word, be smart to 66866, 66866. And I'll give a shout out to the team that created it. I did not do this. They were brilliant. They said, this is not going to be one of those assessments that when you finish it, you think that's 10 minutes of my life. I'll never get back because this assessment gives you prescriptions based on your responses for what you can do to begin getting out of the quicksand. So that's the number one reason. The number two reason leaders are saying the stuff you mentioned, they'll call it squishy and they'll call it, and, and the, it's it's an avoidance strategy because they don't know what to do. Hmm. It's interesting, several years back, you, again, you might be old enough to remember this, when Google kind of gained a lot of public notoriety, probably 15 years ago, Many of the profiles, maybe all of the profiles that I saw through multiple channels featured the fact that they had created a great place to work, which some people equate that synonymous with culture, and they always showed the ping pong tables. So leaders everywhere went out and bought ping pong tables. Yep. I wish I'd been in the ping pong table business because leaders <laughs> thinking, I don't know what to do about culture. Let's buy a ping pong table. That's what Google did. I think that illustrates that leaders that, that may or may not and probably not probably will not help your culture, depending on what kind of culture you're trying to create. So our team said, let's try to figure out how to make the topic of culture approachable, accessible, and give leaders something they can do to improve their culture. And that's where we came up with the three culture rules. Mm. That's great. I, I want to get into it. I want you to unpack all three of the culture rules because I think they're all extremely valuable. I, I heard you deliver them on the stage at Next this past year. So powerful. Some of the operators listening will remember that. There's a lot of listeners that weren't there at Next. They maybe are leaders in the restaurant. So I, I want to make sure that we get into that. But yeah, yeah. Cu culture okay. is not a ping pong table. Tell us what culture is. What are the three culture rules? Well, first, let me let me tell you what it is. It's the cumulative effect of what people see, hear, experience, and believe. Culture is the cumulative effect of what people see, hear, experience, and believe. Now, I'm encouraged by that definition. Yes, our team wrote that, but let me tell you why I love it. Because who in an organization has the greatest influence on what people see, hear, experience, and believe. The, the leader. leader. The leader. And so this is not something that somebody else controls. This is something that leaders influence directly on a day, not, not only a daily basis, but a moment-by-moment -moment basis. So mm -hmm. let me hit these really quick, and then we'll do what you want to do. There are three culture rules. The first is to aspire. Leaders must share their hopes and dreams for their culture. Now, some of your listeners are kind of underwhelmed by that. They're going to say, really? Is that where you have to start? Intellectual integrity demanded we start there because we met far too many leaders around the world who could not articulate their hopes and dreams for their culture. Mm. They just couldn't do it. And if they could, they might talk for an hour. It's like, well, that's really not that helpful because you have to get this this aspiration into the heads and the hearts and the hands of your people so that they can work with you to make it a reality. So if it's not clear, if it's not simple, and if it's not repeatable, you can't cascade it. 
again, met far too many leaders during the, the research for this book that would say things like, it's clear in my head, it's clear in my heart. It's like, that's a fantastic place to begin, but it can't stay there. You cannot build a culture by yourself. You can be the catalyst. You can be the primary champion. But step one is letting people know your hopes and dreams. I think the statistic that goes with it, this one that I, I read in the book, Mark, and I may be slightly off on it, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was less than 15% of frontline team members inside of an organization feel like they are living out their purpose through work. Part of that is because the real purpose of the work hasn't been communicated with people like you, like you talked about. It may exist in the leader's head, but it hasn't been articulated in a very portable way where people could take it and it resonate with them. And then it, and it hit them at a heart level and it, impact the, the way that they show up and work every single day, which I thought was a, a very shocking statistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and let me let me add to that, depending on whose numbers you read, Marcus Buckingham is now working with ADP. He used to be with Gallup. He's the strength finders guy, mm -hmm. uh, one of the early pioneers in engagement. And we can talk if you'd like about engagement. I think engagement is really important. Again, it's not the goal. It's an enabler of performance, but it is important that people care about their work, their coworkers, and the organization. That's how we define engagement. But his latest numbers is only 15% of the workforce in the U.S. is engaged. Man. Can you imagine trying to, I mean, I mean, a lot of the people listening to this, they understand what it's like when 85% of your people don't care. It gets unbearably difficult hard and difficult mm. to do anything with excellence if if 85% of your people don't care. So, yeah, critical, critical, critical that people understand and buy into the aspiration. So how do you get them to buy into the aspiration? Well, the second rule is to amplify, to reinforce the aspiration. You, you've, you've got to always be looking for ways to reinforce the aspiration. This is when you convince people that you're serious, that this is not going to blow over like a storm, you know, in, in the afternoon and tomorrow it'll be back to, to business as usual. This is when you begin to align people. This is when people begin to think, oh, I'm going to have to jump on board here. This, this is, this is legit. Mm -hmm. And again, many, many strategies and tactics, just so this doesn't feel abstract. I'm going to mention two really quick. One is role modeling. People always watch the leader. So I know you've got quite a few Chick-fil-A uh, listeners. If if one of your core values is cleanliness and you're a leader, you can never walk past another piece of trash in your life, in the parking lot, in the dining room, wherever you are, because people always watch the leader. And if they say, okay, she's talking about cleanliness and she's actually walking the talk, that's amplifying that aspiration. And you can make up your own examples, but role modeling is so, so critical. And then another is storytelling. Are you making heroes of the people who are helping you pursue the aspiration, the folks who are trying to live it out on a daily basis? The more of those stories you tell, the more of the behavior you will see in the future. So mm -hmm. those are just a couple. There are others. You have, you have to aspire you have to amplify so people know you're serious. And then a quick cautionary note, this is a very precarious moment for leaders. 
Because I can promise you, if you have a clear aspiration and amplify it well, your culture will begin to move. It will begin to conform. It will begin to make progress toward the aspiration. And I know that leaders love progress and we love to check things off and we love to move on. And if you see this progress and you say, goodness gracious, look it, we're done. If you think you're done, you're done. You, mm. you cannot ever stop working on culture. And worse than, than saying you're done is to move into protection mode. You know, like shrink wrapping something before you stick it in the refrigerator. Yep. If you if you shrink wrap your culture, you'll suffocate it. Mm. You'll just kill it because it's made of living, breathing human beings, right? It's an it's an organism as well as an organization, which is why you need the third rule: is you have to adapt. You have to constantly be looking for ways to enhance the culture, and whether that's closing critical gaps, whether that's uh, eliminating, eradicating toxins. A toxin is a pattern of unhealthy or unproductive behavior. You got to get rid of those things. They'll metastasize and they'll kill your organization. Mm -hmm. Or doubling down on strength. Some of your Chick-fil-A restaurants are saying, we're really good at hospitality, but we're going to focus on it and we're going to get even better and sustain those new levels. When you've done that, you've actually enhanced your culture. And then the fourth category we often talk about is you may want to add new capabilities. The Chick-fil-A example that you heard it next is 15 years ago, Dan said, I think we need to be more innovative. And so in essence, he had expanded our aspiration. We began to amplify that with staffing and budgets and recognition and all the things that you would do. And here we are 15 years later, and I would argue we're much more innovative than we were because that was an, that was Dan's uh, strategic bet that adding new capabilities, in this case, innovation, would serve us well into the future. Yeah. Aspire, yeah. amplify, and adapt. So good. Aspire, amplify, adapt. And I would agree with you. You'd be hard-pressed to find a more innovative company in the world than Chick-fil-A when you look at things like the mobile ordering and even like some of the new renderings that most people have seen of like the four-lane drive-through models with an elevated dining experience up top. Just really cool to see as an organization that pioneering take place, that adaptation to constantly be happening for looking what's What's next? I want to go back to some of what you said, really, really two major things that I heard you communicate there. Mark, the first thing was there's no destination for building culture. It is an ongoing journey and we have to be okay with that. I know Simon Sinek talks a lot about that in the infinite game, the, the mm -hmm. book that he wrote, but it is something that we will always and constantly be working on and improving. And as soon as you put the, uh, the saran wrap over the container is the moment that you begin to die as a culture, right? It takes a lot of small steps to build culture, it's a it's a slow grind, right? To build culture, it's consistency, it's it's day in and day out. I think the regression is is probably also somewhat slow, maybe maybe slightly more rapid as you move further and further away from putting that shrink wrap on. But we know that cultures don't just stay the same, right? You can't just ignore it and it stay as is because vision leaks, and I, I believe culture leaks too. And so just a great reminder that we need to be pressing forward and continuing to lean into culture. It's not a one-time sure. one stop, but 
I've had several leaders ask me since the book came out, when do we get to stop working on culture? And so, first of all, it tells me they probably hadn't read the book, which is fine. That's fine. But that that's a clue. They hadn't read the book. And I said, well, let me ask you this. When do you think you'll stop caring about performance? I'll say, well, never. I said, great. The number one driver of performance is culture. So if you're not going to stop thinking about focusing on and prioritizing performance, then it would seem like you would never deprioritize the number one thing that's going to actually drive performance. My next question for you is I'm thinking about the listeners, Mark, to really help them out. I'd love to hear as you're interacting with a team and you you interact with a lot of teams, what are some questions that you're typically stepping in and asking those teams to get a good grip on or a finger on the pulse of where they're at from a culture perspective? Like, are they in quicksand? Do they need to focus more on aspiring or, you know, is is adapting more where they need to put their time and energy and effort towards? Mm -hmm. Are there certain questions that you would encourage people to ask is they're thinking about their own team, their own own cultures that they're a part of at work and at home and their families that would really help them clearly understand, okay, here's where I probably need to, to spend a little bit more time and effort and energy. Assuming this is an existing team or organization, which means they already have a culture. I would say, how are you doing? Are you moving towards your aspiration? And how do you know? And are there any critical gaps? Now, sometimes that conversation in and of itself will trigger things. I'll give you one fun example. I say fun example. I thought it was actually pretty tragic. I was talking to a leadership team just a few weeks ago from a Christian school, and we were talking about their aspiration, and they were like, boom, we're on it. They said, our aspiration, I'll paraphrase, has to do with service, academic excellence, and leadership development. And I said, great. And they said, but we don't need to talk about leadership development. And I said, okay, why not? They said, we don't do anything with that. We don't do anything that could be construed to be leadership development. And I said, well, congratulations. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, a problem well-defined is half solved. And so you got a couple of options. You either need to take that off your website because you're telling me that's one of your core values and you should never talk about it again or you get to go work on it. Because I said, you are destroying your credibility and you are undermining your the confidence of your people. And by the way, probably all the way out to your donors and prospective donors that you're saying one thing and you are telling me a stranger in the first 10 minutes of a conversation, we don't do anything about that. Mm-hmm. So I would say, how are you doing on the stuff you've already declared? If if you're a Chick-fil-A operator and you say, hey, we're all about excellence, how is your order accuracy? If it's not at 99% or better, you should go work on that because (laughs) you got to be working on the things that you say are important, the things that are those cultural cornerstones, however you represent them, mission, purpose, vision, values, ethos, the mechanisms are, are irrelevant, but how are you doing? Now, one more thing, people often say, well, and you mentioned it in the opening, well, culture's hard to measure. Culture's not hard to measure after you have a clear aspiration. I cite the example in the book of Satya Nadella when he went to Microsoft. Again, it's a bigger, longer story, but the essence and the reason I mention it here is he wanted 
to transform their culture. His aspiration is that he wanted them to move from know-it-alls to learn-it-alls. He said there was hubris and arrogance and there was an absence of innovation because people thought, well, we got it all figured out. So when he changed the aspiration, he had to change the metric. And he decided to use Carol Dweck's uh, growth mindset. And so that is their primary. Some would even in the organization might say it's their, not just their primary, but it is their cultural metric. It's because you can assess that for the people. Now, that may not be your metric for culture or mine, but once you know what you're trying to create, you just measure that. If you want to be caring, you measure that. If you want to be about excellence, you measure that. If you want to be about community or whatever, you measure that. And so, again, a problem well-defined is half-solved. If you tell me what the aspiration is, we can pretty quickly, again, a room of smart people, a table of smart people can figure out how to measure whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, I think if most of us were honest with ourselves with the how are you doing question, we would stumble upon that area of focus that needs more attention very quickly. Most people that are listening to this podcast are very driven, super smart leaders. And I know that you can figure that out. But what I'm hearing you say, if there is a lack of clarity on what needs my focus, the root issue is likely a lack of clarity with what you're communicating from an aspirational perspective. Sure. How, how are you defining your aspirations as a business? And once you have those clearly defined aspirations, your issues, your your challenges will become very quickly visible to you if sure. you know what's important. So and let me um, let me say I'm a fan of qualitative and quantitative. Hmm. So I think I think you ought to build some kind of metric that you can track over time and and you know, because you may determine that one team is stronger and another team is weaker. And there's a lot of opportunities with, with things you can measure. And I think it is measurable. But don't miss the qualitative. Are leaders talking to the people about the culture? And what are people saying? The people who stayed, the people who are trying to get in, and the people who are leaving. This has been super impactful to walk through the three A's, to clearly define the culture rules with you, Mark. Uh, also, to add to this, what you're doing right now through Lead Every Day. So Lead Every Day is something that you're currently working on and um, building out. But go to leadeveryday.com. I'll have it in the show notes. You'll be able to, to quickly find that. The progression of Lead Every Day. Walk me through how you think about engaging leadership specifically through this Lead Every Day model. I think the listeners would would really benefit from getting to hear about this. Yeah, well, just at a really, really high level, we decided that we wanted to build something that would meet leaders where they are. Now, this is, I'm, I'm not throwing rocks at anybody, so I want to ask for a little grace here, but I go to a lot of leadership sites and they're trying to sell me whatever they've got that's new. Mm -hmm. And great. I mean, men and women need to make a living and they got to sell stuff. I got that. But a leader, I, we decided, forget everybody else, we decided we wanted to approach this from the leader's perspective. And we said, what are your felt needs? Mm. And we said, we're, we're going to put them at least initially, because this is work in progress, as you referenced, but we're going we're gonna to put them in four categories. It's like you have an intuitive sense, or maybe someone has told you that you need to become a better leader. Well, then we we want to create, we have created a user pathway for you. Or maybe that's not where you sense that you are, 
but you want to improve your team's performance. Well, we wanted to build a pathway for that. Maybe based on your tenure or your level in an organization, your felt need is how do you strengthen the organization? Well, we're creating a pathway for that. And then fourth and finally, this is under development. We want to figure out how to help you accelerate your journey. We actually believe there are some best practices that cross those other categories. And so we didn't want to place them in any one of those places. And so right now, those are the four pillars that we're we're building out. It's a user-driven felt need approach. Back to the encyclopedia, as I mentioned earlier. I don't know many people who started in A and read the whole thing. <laughs> but but if but if you want to look something up, you know where you're gonna go. Well, these are the volumes that we're creating for leaders so that they can, you know, choose their own adventure. Mm. I, and I love that approach. I did some some digging on my own personally, Mark, and and played with some of the assessments that you have on there. And they're just really great at Good. unveiling those areas of focus that that are needed as a leader, whether that's well, individually you. or team focused or organizationally focused or some things that cross the, cross the barriers of all three of those categories. Well, thanks. Because it's about 60% finished. And so I'm not sure when this will air, but we have put it out there because I think there is some value that folks can derive from it. But we're going to make those individual deep dives much, much, much deeper and much richer than what you're seeing today. So give us another 90 days, six months, and uh, we're, we're trying to create the most useful and user-friendly site in the history of the world. Yeah. Useful and user-friendly. Well, so I can't. That's what we're chasing. I, I love both of those things. I know it's going to impact so many lives. I can't wait to continue to experience as it um, as it adapts. Right, if we're, we're following the third culture rule there. Lightning round, really quick for you, Mark. As we wrap up our show today, these are just designed to be quick, one hitter. You know, a couple words. Uh, a I'll sentence, do the best I can. Response. Many people may not know that that you are a big photographer. You love to take pictures. Do you have a favorite picture that you've taken? Probably a landscape that I shot in Antarctica is the penguins and the snow and ice and stuff. Justin, my oldest son, and I were climbing, and uh, I got a, a view that's that's pretty cool. And then most recently, any of the photographs of the grandkids, particularly engaged in sports. I shot Finn playing soccer last night, Logan playing baseball on Sunday, and we'll shoot Addie's ballet in the coming days. So those are all favorites in the making. That's amazing. On that note, you're a grandfather. You've got grandkids. Do you have a, is it, are you a classic granddad? Do you have a fun grandfather name? What is What does that look like for you? I'm Baba, which is Swahili for father. We chose that. My youngest son is disabled. And so my my hope was that he could say it and then, of course, they could say it. He never picked it up, but they took to it right away. So I am Baba to them. Baba, Baba. I love the the Swahili connection to it, too. Super cool. You started, you mentioned you've been doing the, the chicken thing for a really long time. As you think back, when you started as an hourly team member, do you remember what your hour, hourly rate was when you first started with Chick-fil-A? Yeah, it's probably two bucks an hour, three bucks an hour, somewhere in that vicinity. <laughs> yeah. It was a hundred years ago. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. All right. And then you, and the last question here, as you think about all the years of 
seminar and next and talent summits. Is there a specific talk that sticks out to you as, as a favorite? As you just, it always pops up as you're thinking back over those memories that you have of communicating with Chick fil A over the years. Yes. We had a pastor named A.L. Patterson who introduced us to a Bible character named Shamgar. Most folks have never heard of Shamgar. He was a judge in Israel between Deborah and Ehud was Shamgar. And there's only two verses in the Bible that reference Shamgar. And uh, Dr. Patterson told us the Shamgar story. And it says this, it says, Shamgar uh, slew 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he also delivered Israel. And that's the wow. story. Other than one historical reference, that's all the Bible says about Shamgar. And Dr. Patterson says Shamgar did three things. He started where he was, he used what he had, and he did what he could. Mm. He said, that's enough. And so we have challenged our operators, and I've challenged myself to be like Shamgar. Let's start where we are. Let's use what we have. It's hard to use what you don't have and do what you can. And at the end of the day, that'll be enough. It it sent ripple effects through our organization. And that was 25, 30 years ago. And I would say that message still resonates uh, through the halls of Chick-fil-A. Man, the fact that it's stuck with you like this all those years is tells us enough about it. This has been amazing, Mark. Thank you again for coming on the show. Last thing would just be is listeners are walking away from the from the podcast today. What's what's one piece of encouragement that you'd want to give them as they're walking away in, in Andy Stanley terms? What's the one thing here? And then and then how can people get in touch with you as they're thinking about oh, I want to know more about what's happening with Mark and what he's working on right now? Um, give me those two things. We'll wrap up. All right, real quick. We talked a lot about culture, so let's set that aside. Hopefully, people have got things they can think about. I would pull back and I would say the best encouragement that I could offer every listener, if you've not already made a commitment to lifelong learning, that's the ticket. Your capacity to grow will determine your capacity to lead. Changed my life, changed my leadership. I made that decision over 40 years ago, and I'm still a learner. Not by temperament. Not It's not one of my top fives in strength finders. I made a choice to commit to lifelong learning. It's the way you ultimately find more influence, more opportunity, and you make a bigger difference in the world. The learners are the ones that are actually changing the world. So that's my encouragement. Uh, You can do it. It's a choice. As far as getting in touch with me, you've already found that we've got lead every day. That site's under construction. My email is mark at leadeveryday.com. And my cell number is 678-612-8441. If you're driving down the road, don't have a wreck. That'll be in the show notes so you can get that later. But I'd love to connect with you and serve you any way possible. And thank you so much, Mark, for your availability to our listeners and, um, and for all the value that you've shared today. We'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. Learners, the ones changing the world. I love that last piece of wisdom from Mark and good news. If you are listening to this podcast, you are a learner. So don't stop. No doubt you're going to have days where you feel burnt out. 
you feel tired, you feel exhausted, but keep getting back up, keep learning. And there is no limit to what you can accomplish and the legacy that you could leave. Like Mark mentioned, you'll find some really helpful stuff in the episode description, like his contact info, the link to what he's been working on lately at Lead Every Day, a way you can order his most recent book that we were talking a lot about in Culture Rules, or his upcoming book, Uncommon Greatness, which is gonna be on my list of books to read this year. Thanks again to Mark for coming on the show. Until next time, stay saucy, everybody.